Tommy Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the teen in your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. I'm here with the low in your Tilo, Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Hello. How are you, Lorenzo? I'm wonderful. Are you? And it's a special day. It's a magic day. Yes, it's a wonderful day. It's my, my birthday. Yeah. We, um, I had only one thing I wanted to do for my birthday, uh, because we well, a couple of weeks ago we went out for a big dinner. We were to, went to our favorite restaurant and um, dropped a, a load, a bucket of money, because it was our first time out in in fifteen right. months. And I said I didn't really want to do that for my birthday because normally we do go out on on our birthdays usually to a nice restaurant. I said I really don't want to do that. I know we're traveling to D.C. later in the month and Las Vegas later in the month. And we're going to be eating in restaurants then. So all I wanted to do today was get up and go <laughs> to our local diner, which we have not been to since pre-lockdown. Yeah. And um, it's probably close to two years yes. since we've been there. Uh, and I just wanted the Hungry Lady special. And I, <laughs> I just wanted, um, I don't know, the, the home fries on the griddle and everything. It was the it was like a trashy, cheap breakfast, but it was exactly what I wanted. Exactly. Um, so that's my it birthday. It was fun. Story. It was a nice walk, and um, yeah, it, it was it was great. Um, it's nice to be out. We, we talked about this. Like it, it's so funny. Like little things now. I you know like the air just blowing. I know. <laughs> and the flowers and all that. I just notice all these things now. It it sounds a little crazy, but that's that's how I feel right now. True. It's true. It's nice to be out. It is bottom line. Um, what else is going on? We uh, It was a weird week to be sort of cultural commenters because there was all this stuff going on that we didn't feel that we could comment on. We talked about this a bit in our newsletter this week, but like the um, the big controversy surrounding the casting decisions for In the Heights and colorism in, in Latinx representation, and it was the big story of the week, and we just didn't feel like we could talk about it yeah. at all. Yeah, right. Um you wanted to mention Rita Moreno's comments on Colbert, though. It was, I thought it was interesting because I'm always looking for articles, uh, you know, for the lounge. And, and, and then I saw all these articles about it. I didn't watch the interview live. I mean, I read right, about it, just, it, it later. Went viral. Yeah. And I was like, wow. I, I was just shocked. I was just shocked. But it, it at the same time, um, it says so much about the uh, community in general, how it, you know, it's still... Even within the community, uh, we take sides. I'm not saying that's her case, but I say we take side, sides or mm-hmm. we don't see the other side sometimes. Right. You know, it's just like, it's interesting how, um, yeah. So what she said was essentially the, the conversation turned towards In the Heights, which is a movie she has nothing to do with, but um, about Latinx representation, and she defended the filmmakers, including Lin-Manuel Miranda, and told the people who were raising this as an issue, who are ostensibly uh, Afro-Latin people or mm-hmm. Black Latin American people, to wait. Just wait. You know, can't you leave it alone? Just wait. Which is terrible rhetoric. Terrible rhetoric to use uh, in a discussion like this. Again, though, I'm I'm treading a little lightly here because I am a white guy weighing in on this. Um, we interviewed Rita Moreno about 10 years ago for right. Metrosource magazine. And, uh, of course we adored her. Of course we walked away from that interview floating on clouds. And I remember for the longest time afterwards, we, uh, whenever it came up or talked about her, we mentioned how sharp as a tack she was. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and she still is. I'm not suggesting that it's not no longer true. But um, I'm just reminded a year or two back uh, at the height of the Me Too conversation, Angela Lansbury came out with similar sorts of comments that, you know, young women just are, have to understand that this is the way the world works. And, you know, you just have to be more careful. And it was... right. Of course, there was all this backlash, and they were the comments, much like Rita Moreno's, of a woman. I mean, Rita Moreno's going on 90, isn't she? She's in her late... Yeah, Probably. she's going I, on 90. I, I she's 89, and Angela Lansbury is in her 90s. And while I feel these women have uh, their full faculties, as far as I know, and there's a lot in about their experiences that they can teach the world, you should listen to your elders, you also... I just feel like you have to understand that at 90, she's not going to have the most progressive understanding of this right of these issues it, it, there's only so much you can expect right uh i i understand why people were mad at her i'm not saying you shouldn't be i'm not saying that the comments weren't offensive i'm not defending her i'm just saying and this is going to sound ageist i guess but we can't look to 90 year olds to talk about progressive thoughts and ideas right. and and social change you can't look to 90 year olds for social change those are the last people you you would talk to for that right it, it's a combination of it's also the fact it's also a reminder that you know celebrities are people <laughs> you have to remember that yes um so they act like people and they answer questions or they have thoughts based on their experience or how they feel um but and it it's it, for the most part, it's hard to separate them. You know, the celebrity, the the artist, and right, and the and the person. Um, I do think yes, the they're from another generation, and you know they have a different way of looking at things. But at the same time, um, right now, if you're going on a show, I mean, you you do have PR people, you do have people helping you. And, Agreed. And I'm sure somebody should have said, or even said, and she ignored you know, don't say this or, or, or this is the direction you have to go if they ask questions about the, uh, in the Heights. So, because of course, uh, Rita, she didn't wander off as right. some grandmother. She's got a documentary mm -hmm. about her life coming out and she produced West Side Story, which is coming out later in the year and she's in it. It's just, so it, she's a working woman right. who's in the culture who, so I don't mean to dismiss her as a 90 yeah, year old. Yeah. She is in it and she is involved in it. Um, but, uh, I just have to say, I'm not surprised that someone approaching their hundredth year, uh, their 10th decade is not, um, going to have the most forward, even with PR people coaching her. Yeah. She's, you, you can't change minds. And she worked in a colorist system. She actually benefited from it. Um, and I'm not defending her. I'm just saying I wasn't that surprised by right. the comment. It's just, of course, when when something like this happened, then they start talking about other things. I didn't know. Uh, I personally didn't know, but apparently she made other comments. I don't know in her book or yeah, that came out stuff like that. So about her daughter, and I don't want to get into all the details because I I don't have a lot of facts. <laughs> I, there so, was a story going around that that in her in her biography or in her documentary. Yeah, also the documentary she prayed probably. that her when she was pregnant that her baby wouldn't be too dark skinned. Um and I'm not here to again, I'm not here to indict her for these thought I, I actually I I admire her honesty in telling that. Stories like that need to be told. That and in fact, we're going to get into a a story about our own life later in this podcast. 
that yeah, I think you have to take in the same sort of understanding right. of the time people grew up in and the things they were exposed to. But I, I think I, I actually think it's good that she honestly addressed that. I think, based on what I read, it's it's the phrasing. It's always the it's always how you say something. Fair. Uh, and I think she said it the wrong way. I mean, she could have had that conversation about you know I'm having a daughter and you know she's from whatever culture or, or right. community and I'm worried about. X, Y, and Z, as opposed to, oh my God, I hope she's not too dark. Right, that right, right. Type of conversation. Right. I mean, there are ways of saying things and expressing your concerns um, in a, I don't know, more politically correct way, I guess, or I don't know, or more considerate, I'd say, way. Yeah. You, know, you have to understand that it's, as a famous person, uh, when you say stuff like that, you are whether you want it or not, you are the spokesperson in a way, you know. Uh, yeah, and that's not fair. It's, and it's not fair. No, it's to, not fair. Yeah. It's not fair, but that's why that's what uh, journalists in general do. I mean, th- when they interview these people, um, they go for these questions. What do you think about whatever? That, right, you know, whatever's right. going on at the moment. Um, and sometimes you caught off guard uh, or, you know, you don't have time to really think about an answer and you just give one anyway and they're just going to use that. Um I, I know I'm not comparing to us ever, but I'll never forget the this, the DC story that we said we were afraid of of Melania Trump, which we didn't say that, which we didn't necessarily say that. But if you Google Tom Lorenzo, it's right there. Tom Lorenzo is afraid of Melania Trump. Right. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> but my point is, when you say something, they just use that soundbite however they want, and um, you're stuck with it. So that's that's my take. That's pretty much my take as well. Moving away from that, the other big story of the week, it's not that we're not allowed to touch on it, but I just find it so over-talked about, is uh, the Chrissy Teigen tale and how she, it looks like she really is canceled this time. I think what makes it interesting for us is the whole Michael Costello thing oh that came God, flying yeah, in yeah, out of left yeah. field. And I was like, oh my Lord, hold on, I take some tea. The minute I saw... People talking about him and, and you know, he was <coughs> devastated and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I was like, oh, my God, of course. Of well, course. I mean, I tweeted the other day when this story, when this Michael Costello story dropped, I was like, and I really wasn't thinking all I, I just threw it out there because it popped into my head and I, I tweeted out, you know, someday I'm going to spill so much scalding hot tea about so many of the well, Project Runway so designers. Yeah. I didn't really think about it. And then, like, it just went, you know, red hot. It, not, But, I mean, it got, like, 2,000 likes or something like that. And everyone kept asking for, for stuff. And you asked me, you were like, what did you mean by that? And I was like, remember this, this, that? And I started running down a list of things that we never talk no, about. we never talk about. Uh, and we're not going to talk about we here. Had, Don't we, worry. I no, mean, I'm we, sorry. I got, we, had, we made a choice early on when we were fan bloggers. Go ahead. No, we had funny conversations about... We have funny stories, that's what I'm trying to say, about situations where, especially when we attended the uh, finale of the show. These people used to get drunk in front of us. That's why we have stories. Yeah, I mean, we have some incredible stories. But also, like, I remember, I forget who, just uh, turned to other designers and were like, don't talk to them. Uh, I forget who we were talking. Right. Uh, and then the, this person came and said, don't talk to them. They're, they're Tom and Lorenzo. Um, we, we heard stories. Just, yeah, we, heard we have stories, stories like about we heard stories about drug use. We heard stories about racist 
um, tirades or outbursts. We heard stories about abuse. We heard stories about uh, contestants sleeping with each other. We heard stories about contestants sleeping with high-ranking Bravo executives. Um, we've heard all of those stories. Oh, God, yeah. we've, oh and uh, cheating, 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 cheating. Stuff you don't even know about that never made it to the air. Yeah, stuff about the production, stuff about Heidi Klum. Yeah, and it's not, <laughs> I wish we, I mean, I guess I wish we could because it would be fun and we'd get no, a lot of viral I, attention. I don't need lawyers. I don't, I don't <laughs> Knock need in lawyers. My door. <laughs> exactly. And no. We never, we never, it never really occurred to us how much of this stuff we have, how much of this background. And I should mention, I almost put this on Twitter as a backup, but then I thought people are going to analyze this way too much. I really only have the dirt on like the first six or seven seasons because Because after that, we dropped the hell out of that scene. We were like, no, I'm sorry. I will make this as a general comment. And I've said this before. We've made a few friends. Uh, Emmett McCarthy being number one, who was Mm -hmm. still a good friend. We got married in his backyard. Um, But generally speaking, we reached a point where we we realized, like, oh, you know, when you're pulling from a pool of people who tried out to be on reality television, that's not a great social circle. Like, they're not people you're going to want to be friends with. I know that sounds terrible, but they're attention seeking. There's a lot of bullshitters that are in that kind of group. But I also want to mention that... uh, Anyway, Michael Costello. As the the seasons went by, um, you know, like, we decided not to be too close to them because we were talking about them and and criticizing the clothes. Right. And and the more famous the site became, let's put it this... Exactly. The more they knew about us, and and then he created a situation where they, they were actually just very defensive the whole time. And, and or they of, were pitching business deal. They, oh, or I need like to that. talk to yeah. you about a business plan. I'm like, yeah, that's not what we're here for. Having said all that, I just want to mention that someone now very, you know, popular and successful, uh, Christian Tiarano, he's he's been very nice to us. He has. Uh, yeah, he, I don't have one bad word. No, to say he about has him. messaged us uh, directly, thanking us for the support. Uh, Christian Tiarano has been great, um, and uh, you know, he's very successful. His business doing really well. Um, but Michael Costello walked. This is the one <laughs> thing I'm gonna mention. I don't have a lot of dirt on Michael Costello because oh boy, did we backpedal away from that dude quickly. Oh yeah. Um, he was introduced to us. I can't remember who the guy was. He, he won. I can't remember his name. Uh, anyway, we um, were in the tents at Lincoln Center during Fashion Week, and another Project Runway contestant who knew us brought Michael Costello up to introduce I don't even him. Remember to that? It. You don't remember this? No, not at all. And I mean, it's like hustle and bustle and crowd. And we reached out to shake his hand and he reached out to shake ours. And he said as loud as possible to get as many heads as to turn around as possible. Why do you do hate me so much? I can't even believe you don't remember this. <laughs> I think I do now. And well, that was why we, that was one of the first where we were like, oh, God, we got to back away from these weird... Like, no. People who are on reality television are not... It's not my life. It's not my social circle. And they pull shit like that. It, it got really ugly sometimes to the point that I didn't even bother introducing myself to them. Because, oh. because I, I forget... Remember I the forget. one that wished that we would die on yes. Twitter? Uh, yes, yeah, something like that. And then there was the other one. I was in line to attend some show... Uh, and she just turned, I, I actually, because we were like standing right next to each other, I said, hi, I forgot her name. And, um, I said, you know, nice to meet you. I'm Lorenzo. And then she just spin around and completely ignore me. Didn't yeah. even reply. And you know what? 
where are any of these people? Know, That's the thing. It's like, okay, fine. Act like you're too good to talk to us. And who are you now? Yeah, I know. I Not know. to be a bitch, but you should have been. You should have taken that moment and tried to hold on to it oh, instead of acting I like you now. were too good for it. Gretchen. That oh, was, of course it was Gretchen. We made fun of, of her terribly. Yeah, it was Gretchen. Gretchen. Okay, where's she now? <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but some some interesting stories, and it just, but that's the way it is. I mean, we we have some stories about drug race, drag race too. It's just the not way it is. Really, because not we lot. don't know those no, girls. But we heard stories. It's just the way it is uh, with uh, reality TV shows. Uh, when, it's just yeah. Yeah, when we came to Drag Race, we were four years into doing Project Runway, and even more more aware, we were even more aware that we did not want to be a part of that world in terms of interacting with the girls which sounds really funny now because there are so many journalists who sort of have made their name uh getting to know all the girls and and socializing with the girls and, be, and befriending the girls and we don't do any of that in mm-hmm. fact when we uh submitted the book the drag race book for uh to an you know to see if anyone would you know want to publish it I, we had a talk about that. And it was like a serious talk where we were like, is this a world we really want to enter? Like, we're going to mm-hmm. declare ourselves as authors of drag. And then, you know, do you really want to? And sure enough, at, at least one of the queens contacted us because she didn't like something we wrote in the book. I'm not going to mention who it was because it's actually someone we love. But um, that was that's the thing. It's like, it, it, especially when you get into. Well, here's the interesting thing about Project Runway is that um, the fashion world, even at at the aspirational level, at the level of people who are trying to establish careers, it's still full of enormous egos and people with in, incredible high self regard. Mm-hmm. Even struggling designers think their shit doesn't stink. Um, and then you you combine that with uh, the attention seeking of reality television. So you're looking at uh, people who feel that they are artists and singular and more fabulous than ever. And then they, they are seeking it. So you get these personalities that are just not great personalities. And then with, with something like drag race, it's the same thing. You have drag queens who mm-hmm. not, no team, no shade against drag queens, but they are shady bitches who live for attention. That is what their job is for most of them. And then you combine that with, the attention seeking that comes with reality television and the audience that comes, you know, mm-hmm. the incredible social media audience and everything, you get a lot of negative behavior or behavior that is, you know, just not great socially speaking. So, because they usually they create this persona, they create exactly. this character. And most of the time when they talk to you, they're just, you know, performing. Right. There's, uh, there's yes, such a performative there's, there's aspect. There's a lot of to that it. too. Yeah. Um, Having said that, Katja is freaking amazing katya is amazing amazing a wonderful wonderful person always always supporting us always making sure we whatever we ask her i agree um you know she always replies and i'm i'm glad she's doing great um you know what else is amazing every plate the affordable meal kit for everyone it's america's best value meal kit delivering filling familiar pre-measured ingredients with simple recipes um so you can experience full plates and fuller wallets with america's best value meal kit that's the great thing about every plate is uh it's the it's so affordable um the the Everything is pre-proportioned. All the ingredients are super fresh, but the, it is so much more affordable than so many of these meal plans. Um, and it's all restaurant quality meals. 
Every plate makes home cooking easy and affordable as a much cheaper alternative to takeout, but just as delicious. Think of it this way. One meal from every plate is the same price as one cup of coffee. Getting dinner on the table daily used to be a challenge. Now let every plate plan, shop, and deliver everything you need to cook a delicious meal at a delightful price. Recipes come together in about 30 minutes, definitely faster than a trip to the grocery store or starting a meal from scratch. Um, it's perfectly follow, it's perfect. easy to follow yeah. recipe cards. The ingredients are super fresh. You don't waste a thing. You don't have to go looking for anything. That's what I like about it because yeah. I don't cook. I've said this many times, but I'm the one usually going to the supermarket to buy the stuff. And you always make the list of things I have to get. And I, mean, I can't find them or I come back with this gigantic jar. Right, uh, right, right. When all you need is just one spoon of it. Right. So it, it's perfect for that. It reduce waste. You get the exact amount you need. You don't have to look for... And the and, food is and, delicious. Yeah, and you get to try different things. How many times you didn't make something because you didn't have the ingredients? Or, right, or, or, or you didn't think you could do it. Yes. So with most uh, meals coming together in 30 minutes or less, that leaves more time for you to spend outside with friends and family as the weather warms up and evenings get longer. So try every plate for just $1.99 per meal plus an additional 20% off your next two boxes by going to everyplate.com and entering code TLO199. That's $1.99 per meal plus an additional 20% off another two weeks by going to everyplate.com and entering code TLO199. That is up to a $100 value. So you should check it out, everyplate.com. Um, okay, so we gossiped about reality television, and we talked about... You forgot to finish about uh, talking about uh, uh, Christy Teigen, did you? Christy Teigen. Oh, I don't know. What else do I want to say about that? We it mentioned just... it in our newsletter. Right. You should all subscribe to it. Yes, please. Um, I, I mean, just... I think it's... I think she needs to get the hell off social media. I think she has an unhealthy uh, attachment to it. I realize that her brand has been... Um, it's inseparable from her social media. But that's why she should get off it. Because with each tweet, with each post, you're ruining your brand that much more. Just be quiet. Right. And see if you can write a cookbook while you're taking this time off. And forget about your deals with Macy's. I, I have to say a few things about it. Uh, first one is that I was... If if it is true, uh, whatever she allegedly said, they're, they're horrible comments. Um, you don't talk to teenagers that way. It's just, it's just very I realized bad. that Courtney Stodden back then was a figure of great derision, and it, the culture uh, found it very easy to make fun of them. She's They're non-binary, so I'm trying to remember to use um, they, them when discussing them. But um, So Courtney Stodden was this figure of ridicule in a way that just doesn't speak well of the culture. Yes. Yeah, they were tacky and attention-seeking. They were also like 16 years old in a marriage with a man that was in his fit. The whole right. thing was so seedy. And I can't even understand, quote-unquote, understand um, saying things on Twitter, but apparently she actually message sent, how, how Message you, them that, to tell them to kill themselves. That part, I don't understand. How, Come on. How can you direct message someone to insult them? I don't understand that. We do get hate emails, let me just say that. Um, but I don't understand why you just... Take your time to type something and send to somebody. Yeah. I, I don't get that. It's not, there's nothing good coming out of that. Right. I mean, I defended some of Chrissy's behavior in the past, but this is like, all right, I got off on this stop. There's no way she needs to get off of social media. The problem with her, um, her apology was that it was very self-focused. Yes. 
It's, and it's, it's, at the very least, you have more money than God. Mm-hmm. You've actually gotten in trouble for bragging about how much money you have. At the very least, you should have committed some amount of money to some anti-bullying program or right. something. I don't uh, understand most of these apologies, to be honest with you online. They always they always tend to be about themselves. Um, or I it, thought Lynn Manuel's apology was really good. Well, that yes, I, I, I but it was it, well. Even though I'm not there, to, it, yeah. it's not me. He's apologizing to, so I, mean, I it, can't assess it. But it, it really, was well written. It I'm really sorry. annoys me when they when they even say, "Well, if I if I offended you, obviously you offended people, otherwise right. you wouldn't be apologizing." Right. That drives me crazy. And when it's all about like how I'm feeling and you know I'm crying now, blah blah blah, blah. it just all this. Me, me, yeah, me, I mean, me, Chrissy me, me, was like, I need your love. It's all about all I ever wanted was your love. Okay, lady. Just make it direct to go the point. Go take yeah, care of apologize. your kids and write another cookbook and stay off of social media for the next year. Just stay and, off. And I think with, specifically with, with her, um, it's just there, there, there has been so many apologies. It's not just one. She's um, been in the center of so much stuff. And some of it like went her and like... You can't say her miscarriage was some, or the fact that Alison Roman went after her, but the fact remains that everything's so online. Like with right. her, you're right. so online. Everyone is that so every online. three months there is some Chrissy Teigen story. Um, get offline, lady. Get off. You're ruining your brand, and the way you talk about it. It sounds like you're ruining your psyche. This is not healthy. It's just not healthy to be looking for love from masses of followers on social media to openly plead for their love. I have tried to be a little more open about this uh, display of emotions on social media. I I used to be very... I think it's out of control. I used to be very critical uh, about it, but... um, but now I kind of look at it and I'm like, wow, I guess that that's the future now. Because I don't understand how you can turn your camera on and start crying talking about something so private. It's not just that. It's uh, um, I, people are like they'll just mindlessly tweet out some some diagnosis of their uh, mental right. health. And I'm like, not there's no shame here. Like if you, there's nothing wrong with being open about it. But even in that in the world, out in the real world, you're not casually tossing your mental health issues into every single conversation right. like that. And I don't think it's healthy. I just it, it's one thing to shine a light on issues to talk openly, right. but it's another thing to just toss off tweets or toss off Instagram lives where you just are wallowing in in whatever your self you know your health mental health issues are. Like that's not go go to therapy. That's not social media is not therapy, and when you start using it for like, oh, that is just a terrible road to go down. It's this desperate need to go viral to 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 have people talking about like that uh, that whole pancake pancake or waffle guy that just grossed me out. The one this morning, yeah, Waffle House. I was so annoyed with that because I was like, first of all, this is gross. That you, I just thought it was lame because I was like, haven't we done like this? Feels no. very 2016 so to you, me. So you spent 12 hours at, in a waffle house. Why? Number one, why? And then you wait like God knows how many waffles, and you just tweeting about it. And I'm like, Jesus Christ! And it went really? viral. Exactly. Well, that's the whole point. And I'm like, do we really need to share everything like that? Oh, just, my God. We're oh sound like God. Grandpa Simpson. Well, that's why I Old go, men yelling at I, That's why I go back to what I said. I'm trying to be more open about this oversharing <laughs> and uh, <coughs> knee. I mean, this, this is a great obsession segue. now. Yeah. I mean, it's just been insane. Uh, I'm, I'm, I just, I don't know. I, I tend to be a little more private. That's just me. 
So anyway. This is a fantastic segue to what we're going to talk about now, which is a little bit more of a personal take. But we said we were going to um, have something Pride or LGBTQ related in every podcast during the month of June. And this time we're turning the conversation towards ourselves. We were walking down the street earlier this week and um, there was a, a same-sex couple, a male couple in front of us holding hands. And mm-hmm. um, part of what made this notable, I think the reason we commented on it this time was because they were older than us, actually. Right. Uh, a lot of times we see couples younger than us holding hands. And we tweeted something a long time ago and people were shocked and just... You know, it hurt to hear this, you know, according to them. But Lorenzo and I, have we don't do that. We don't yeah. hold hands in public. We've never, literally never done that. And that's what it came up because we passed this, this couple on the street holding hands. And I was like, I wonder, are we ever going to do that? And we kind of laughed it off. And we were like, no, I'm not going to start now. I'm not, you know, we came of age in a time where um, that was... <laughs> I mean, you were taking your life in your hands if you were going to walk down the street holding your boyfriend's hands. We, when we were young men, it's not that nobody did it. You but, got beat up. But you were definitely yeah. risking getting beaten up if you did it. Um, I, I've i said this before about um, especially Gen X gay men and probably, probably older millennial gay, well, definitely older millennial gay men because they would be approaching 40 now. But, um, you know, when you... When you grow up in a, a society, like, it's different now for teenagers, but w- when we were teenagers, when we were developing, our sexuality was developing, it had to develop in a cage. It didn't have, it wasn't mm-hmm. allowed to develop in a normal way. We didn't go to prom with our crushes or, or write notes to them. And like, that just didn't happen. There was, That didn't go on. I mean, obviously, some brave young gays were doing things like that back in the 80s, but for the most part... That's not what it was like if you were a gay teenager. Your sexuality develops in a cage. It mm-hmm. develops in a dark room, and you don't tell anyone. And if, and any thought of expressing it is feels dangerous or blasphemous and scary. So we are of that generation. We are probably the last generation who really, really, truly grew up with those feelings and with no no sense that they were ever going to end. Um, And I don't say this, this is a fact of my life. This is not like a woe is me and I'm carrying scars, although uh, clearly I am. I mean, I'm sure a 22-year-old would listening to this would be like, that is the saddest fucking thing I've ever heard. But it's the fact of our life. It's the fact of when we, when and where we grew up. We did not come into our gayness where it, as a positive thing, it, it, there was there was so much shame and fear. And we talked before about, you know, growing up in the eighties, there was also a fear of death. Like your sexuality was going to kill you. So, um, it, it, and then we became a couple. I don't know. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, we became a couple in our late twenties and, uh, it just never developed as something we did. Right. And then it's, it, over in, I would say, the last 10 years, it has become just common to see men and women walking down, you know, same-sex couples walking down the street holding hands. And every not every time it comes up, but it has come up a couple times in the last decade about, are we supposed to start doing this? And I, we can't force ourselves to become something that we're not. And besides which, we did talk about this. We're like, well, how many couples our age actually re- hold hands that no, much? I, yeah, I'm, I, I, I couldn't do it. Uh, and I couldn't do it because I was not trained to do it. Right. L- literally. Right. Um, I, 
No, I, uh, when I was, when I had my crushes or whatever, when I was just, you know, dating someone or whatever, I mean, I had to hide all that stuff. Uh, right. I, I couldn't express anything. Right. Um, it was always inside the house. I mean, outside, we were just two friends all the time. Right. Uh, I couldn't do anything like that. And when I see young um, queer uh, people doing it, I, I think it's great. I think it's awesome. Oh, absolutely. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And, and if you're older than me and you're doing it, good for you. Um, I think I don't know. To be, I don't have the answer. But I don't know if, if I feel that way because I never had a, the opportunity uh, or the safety to do it. Um, you know, the safe space right. to do it. Um, but I just don't like it in, in general. And I and I actually would like to listen to more uh, uh, straight people talk about it. Like, right. is, is this something you really like to do? I just know. it When I see two people holding hands on the street, I always feel like, all right, is he or she... Are you afraid she he or she get is lost. gonna get lost? <laughs> We're cynical bitches. Is he or she dizzy? I do have to say, uh, uh, Lorenzo and I have hugged and kissed in public. Like we're not completely afraid. No, I understand. But the idea of walking down the street signaling that way with every step that we are a couple, uh, it's just not. It's never been a part of our lives. And every time we're faced with someone else doing it, we're like, mm, that. Just, it just doesn't feel like us. I, I can understand, like, I don't know, a touch or you hold someone and then you kiss someone. But holding hands for blocks is just like... Okay, you're going to start sounding like <laughs> you're criticizing. Don't be a bitch. No, I just don't understand. But again, I go back to what I said. Maybe I feel this way because I had, I never experienced it. Right. Uh, and that led us, I just, it's a perfect jumping off point to talk about two of the things that re- we referenced in our book that is part of gay male subculture uh, and queer, queer subculture generally. Um, but no, these are specifically gay male, which is the hanky code and Polari. And I wanted to bring them up as an example. And this predates us. Uh, the hanky code predates us by one full generation and Polari predates us by at least two full generations. Um, the hanky code has pretty much faded out of use in, 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 a, in the popular sense. I think some, some areas of the leather community still follow it, but it's not as big as it once was. And, Polari was out of favor long before, like before mm-hmm. I was even born. But let me just explain what both of them are. Polari was a um, a cant, a slang language that was um, a combination. It was spoken by theater people. It was spoken by um, uh, Romani traveler people. It was there's some Yiddish involved in it, and there's some sailors cant that is involved in it. All these groups, these tinkerers and travelers and sailors and actors and uh the yiddish-speaking community in like the 17th century in england created this sort of slang language and then by the and it fell out of favor um there's a lot of english slang that still owes something to polari but uh and there are certain words of polari that are still in use which i will tell you what some of them are when i get to them um but in the um, 20th century, it developed almost exclusively as a language for urban, uh, well, not necessarily urban, for gay men, for mm-hmm. English gay men to find each other and to speak about their gayness, to, you know, to cruise each other or even just to socialize. Uh, because actually very little of Polari is about sex. It's all about social terms and about, um, it's it's really about small talk. Uh, Polari conversations are all about complimenting someone's hair and someone's earrings and, right. and oh, be careful because the, you know, the police are around the corner. 
it's a way to communicate and protect yourself, protect the person. You know, it's exactly that kind of conversation that you know what it's kind of like a watch out conversation. Yeah, I mean, this, it, it was in use at a time when uh, homosexuality was completely illegal. You could wind up uh, chemically castrated in a mental institution. You could lose your job. Uh, and same thing with any sort of cross-dressing or non-gender or gender non-conforming behavior. You know, you couldn't, uh, if you were a trans woman or even a drag queen, you couldn't walk around like that. You were risking, you know, your life. And so Polari developed as a, um, it shifted over uh, from all these other communities and until it became almost um, distinctly and solely a gay male language. Um, and so terms like zhuzh, Zhuzh your hair, mm -hmm. which you hear. I mean, uh, Carson Kressley brought it into popularity in, in the first Queer Eye. That's Polari. Um, drag is a Polari term. Butch is a Polari term. Queen is a Polari term. Um, and like I said, when you look at the, uh, uh, the terminology and the common words that were used, it, a lot of it was about social stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of it was about fashion and visuals, uh, you know, how beautiful someone's face looked, how beautiful someone's mm -hmm. hair looked. And then a lot of it was about avoiding the law. Right. Uh, so it was absolutely this underground language mm -hmm. of survival slash social socialization so that gay men could be around each other, talk about what they wanted to talk about, which was clothes and hair and dick and, you know, that sort of thing, <laughs> and not uh, get arrested for it, right. you know, or and here's where the value of it. If you are a gay man speaking Polari and you're sitting on a park bench and there's a cute guy sitting there and you need to figure out if he's gay or not, you say something in Polari. If he doesn't know, he's not going to beat you up because he doesn't know. He's some straight guy who's going to think you're speaking Yiddish or something right. and walk away. It was a survival technique. Mm -hmm. If the guy returned your Polari with another Polari phrase, well, then you were sisters. You were friends of Dorothy. You were in it. Yeah. It, um, it's a way of a way to communicate, you know, with your community in general. Right. Um, and, and to protect yourself because people wouldn't understand what you were saying. Um, yeah. Um, and the, now the Hanky Code was um, a, a little more recent. It was developed. It was codified actually post Stonewall, like roughly around 1970 or so. Um, so it didn't actually become popular at a time when um, homosexual, homosexuality was necessarily illegal, but it was still a form of uh, signaling and communication that didn't require words and only required that you be inside the group with enough knowledge to understand mm. what the signals meant. So... I think the hanky code is pretty well known, but I'll explain it anyway. It's uh, it's a code of color coded hankies that you like bandana hankies that you would put in your back pocket to indicate what you were looking for sexually that night. And it's a very complicated code. I mean, there are several dozen variations <laughs> oh, on it. Jesus. Left and right pockets. And, you know, I can't even remember because I, I can't remember. It was not my thing. Yeah. I, I wasn't into the hanky code, but I believe. I believe left is passive. In other words, you're the bottom and right is active and you're the top. And then there would be a certain code for, say, I'm looking for anal sex and I'm the bottom. <laughs> or I'm looking for oral and I'm the top. Whatever. Um, and the whole thing was laid out through. Uh, it actually started in the leather community, which, oh my goodness, there's so much 
uh, signaling and mm-hmm. codes and symbols in uh, any leather or or BDSM community. Uh, but the the hanky code actually spilled out into social scenes past that, and it was fairly common in gay neighborhoods, gay uh, gay friendly bars, and that sort of thing, all the way through to the eighties. I think probably what what uh, killed it off um, in terms of popular usage was the AIDS crisis because by the mid to late 1980s, you you weren't um, you were risking, let's say, social ostracization. I couldn't get that word out if you were too openly seeking sex right. uh, at, at a time of AIDS. Um, so it so probably fell out of favor largely because of that. But we wanted to bring that up as. These are two examples of um, the kind of gay world we grew into. Let's put it this way. When I came out of the closet, there were probably old men who uh, were using Polari when they were young men. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I came out of the closet, there were still men vestigially using the hanky coat. We entered entered into a world where uh, so much of our gayness was done Mm non-verbally. And in a, in a way that didn't signal our existence to uh, straight people. So that is part. And when I look at it that way, and I hope when other people look at it that way, that you see that the fact that we don't hold hands in public, it doesn't bother me. It's not, it, no, doesn't, it doesn't hurt me or anything like yeah. that. But I think it's valuable to see it as part of a continuum of queer history. It's a result of queer history. It's a result of us coming of age in a queer culture uh, that valued discretion in public, that valued your doing your signaling quietly. Mm-hmm. And I talked to this before uh, you about this before we put our mics on cruising. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't really speak to what young gay men are doing socially now, but my understanding is that cruising is not nearly the culture that it once was. Uh, why would it be when you have apps and you know that sort of thing? You just don't require that right. the way. It was a requirement. And when I say, I mean, there were parks here in Philadelphia that you would go to Mm -hmm. because those were the parks where you cruise. There was a park called, uh, popularly among the gay population in Philadelphia, it was called Judy Garland Park. That was not the name of the park, but it was the park that all the gay men went to to cruise each other. Well, you had to get out of the house to to meet people, you know. You couldn't do it on your computer or your phone. You can't, yeah, you couldn't do it on your phone. You didn't have that option like you do now. Um, You know, it's funny because today you just, you know, travel, you look on your phone and then you find somebody. You don't even have to go to a bar or a gay bar or anything like that when you had to at the time um there was that there wasn't that option so cruising was part of the game it was part of the whole you know conversation to get to a certain point yeah it was a lifestyle mm-hmm. and it wasn't just I don't, i'm not sure i can explain this well but it wasn't always about a a result you weren't you didn't necessarily cruise because at the end of your cruising mm-hmm. you were going to you know get fucked or whatever um why are you looking shocked <laughs> I'm just Don't surprised. Anyway, um, I'm not talking about my own sex life. I'm just talking about mm-hmm. cruising was a lifestyle and a social uh, um, exchange. Sometimes it resulted in sex. Sometimes it resulted in conversation. Sometimes it didn't result in anything because the game was part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the the looks and the, all the nonverbal communication that went with it. Um, 
I don't want to over-romanticize it because, you know, I don't really think, you know, going to a park and cruising in the middle of the night and risking getting arrested was a, a great way mm-hmm. for, for queer people to socialize. I think there's so many downfalls to that, um, not the least of which is the danger that you're putting yourself in. But not all cruising was like that. Sometimes, you know, it was just you know, walking down 8th Avenue in Chelsea in New York at the height of summer and you could cruise other guys. And it was just this exchange of looks as you walk down the street and head turns. And, you know, there were little feints and little gestures that you would do. You would stop to look at something in a store window. I mean, all that kind of stuff was fun. And I I don't want to suggest that younger queer people aren't doing that sort of on the street flirting. Of course they are. But it, 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 it was, was part of our survival back right. then. It was sort of a performance. We had to perform. We that, had to that song and dance, you know, mm-hmm. because that's the only way you could meet someone safely. Um, um, if you weren't going into bars or bathhouses, right. but if you, you know, and a lot of times it was something you did just to feel pretty for ten minutes, just to get your confidence level up, just to see if anyone's going to look if you right. move your ass a certain way. I mean, I'm. I, I'm very much talking about my youth. I'm not talking about anything going on right now. But that's, to me, that's the world that older Gen X or Gen X, I guess we're older Gen X, um, uh, grew up in. And um, so when you hear someone of our generation say, a couple of our generation, look, I love him very much. He is my life. I love him. I love him. I love him. But... I don't feel there's any great tragedy that we're not walking down the street holding hands. No. That is not how my love is expressed. No. I'm very happy for that. I love seeing, especially young people doing it with complete freedom and with no fear at all. I love it. But I don't feel bad that it's not part of my life. No, I, I feel see- it's, it's, it tells a story of my life. Right. Go the ahead. way I see young people doing it is it's, it's, it explains a lot. It, it, it shows that, that, you know, you have to be taught to love. You know, mm-hmm. and these kids are, mm-hmm. they are in a safer, not completely safe, but in a safer environment. And they feel more safe to do that, uh, which is great. It, 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 it shows that, you know, you have to teach these people. Uh, we weren't taught. Right. Uh, we were and never. We didn't t- live in that world. No, we never. We were never told that we could do it, uh, and that you know it was okay to do it, and so on. Um, so I'm fine not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um I'm actually, uh, yeah, I would feel It would feel awkward. very forced. Yeah. Like we were yes. trying to make a point of something. Right, and exactly. I'm sorry, we're coming up on our 25th no. anniversary. I don't have to prove anything no, to I this man to, no. or to the world about <laughs> no. my commitment to him. No, um, I, I agree. It's, it's, I don't put anyone down. and But no, we, we've had this conversation many times over the years. And we usually burst out laughing every time it comes up because it's just not who we are at this point. No, I have great memories of us. I mean, a few moments, like I, re- I remember when we were in Paris, we were sitting on a bench and we were like, kind of like holding each other, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's all I need. I don't need to walk five blocks holding your hand. Holding my hand. It's I just, haven't held someone's hand walking down the street since I was five years old. Right, right. <laughs> and it was my mother. Uh, it's just not something I ever did. And <laughs> it wasn't something... Uh, like, like I said, if you're a straight person who grows up into and has a normal sexual development, you probably held hands with someone when she was when you were 16 right. or 17 because that's what you did. Right. Believe me, it wasn't what we did when I was that age. Uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't even an image for me. I did not spend my high school years wishing I could hold hands with a boy. 
That wasn't what I was wishing mm-hmm. for. I was wishing for a lot more, you know, raw <laughs> things than that. It wasn't hand-holding. That's all I'll say. Anyway, that's a little peek into your older gay generation. And he's getting so mad at me. He hates when I refer to us that way. Stop saying We old. are young and vibrant. Yes, exactly. And today is my birthday. I yes, just turned 40. Birth- oh, yes. Perfect. Um, now we're talking. <laughs> now we're talking. Anyway, so those were our thoughts uh, on Polari, the hanky code, on cruising culture, and uh, on public displays of affection amongst the gays. Yes, I'm actually, I, as I said, I'm curious, because I haven't actually talked about this with, mm-hmm. with straight couples, and I wonder how they feel in general. Or younger gays. Yeah. yeah. Or, or gays younger queers. Age. Yeah, but yeah i agree everybody should weigh in um and we'll be back next week uh with whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desk until then take care of yourselves love you mean it bye-bye